Hello, listeners, and welcome to this bonus episode of With Love Victoria. I'm creator Rachel Garnett, and today I am joined by once little dullard birdie boy, now Edward England's pride and joy, the king, Mr. Connor Delves. How are you, Connor? Hello, hello. I am fantastic. How are you, Rachel? I'm absolutely fabulous and absolutely thrilled to have you here with us today to talk about episode five of With Love, Victoria. It was kind of an emotional one mm-hmm. uh, for you there. It was. I mean, it's interesting. Someone that has such a fruitful and <laughs> interesting exterior, I think, when you get to these kind of episodes where you get to explore the the inside and he has some testing moments. It's It's, you know... Yeah, I think that we're slowly starting to see Birdie kind of come out of that protective shell of comedy and taunting into kind of a a very hurt individual as his sister kind of carries on this task. Certainly. I mean, I think he's repressed so much for so long and he's had, you know, he had such a, as a human, had such a difficult time waiting. I mean, he waited for so long and even when he was finally in the position he was you know born to be in it was all suppressed so I'm, I'm not surprised that he had a little a little bit of a blow up and uh, it starts to boil over he is such an interesting man and I'm really excited to get to talk with you about him because I think you uh, have some very fascinating and unique insights into him now that you've been playing him kind of on and off for over a year because uh, you joined us for the original reading. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us about your journey with Birdie. Uh, how was it like getting to know him and bringing him to life? Yes, we have a casual, fluid relationship on and <laughs> off. Um, no, it's been fantastic. I mean, he's, you know, obviously being someone that I'm not, I mean, his age spans across the across the musical uh, for those I guess, listeners that haven't listened to it all or wherever you were at, but um, I'm certainly not his age when he was (laughs) king. So for me, it was much more of a relationship about what can I kind of relate to about him. There's a lot of those things. And it's been interesting because a lot of my, I guess, persona in real life as Connor is, um, I would say, fun in a way that Bertie is too, but it's veiled with a lot of um, perhaps hurt underneath. And I think the, re- the relationship that I've found with him is um, where the charisma and funniness comes from is actually from a, a place of deep hurt. <laughs> so um, it's been really interesting. And, and breaking it up into episodes has made that perhaps more prominent for me. Maybe that's also more time with the text, definitely more time with the text, but breaking it up in episodes really helps certainly my brain think about what happened last episode and how did that grow to this episode and what happens here? What's this episode about? Well, and he also has more material now than he originally did. And I think much of that comes not only from the lovely performance you gave at the reading, but you provided me some very helpful feedback coming out of the first reading about Birdie as an arc, because Mm -hmm. It would have been very easy for me to kind of just let Birdie and Beatrice be a framing device for a show about Queen Victoria. But as I went to do the rewrites of the draft that we read at the reading, you pointed out that the strongest arc in the show was between Beatrice and Birdie. And it had kind of happened so naturally that I had missed it. And so in going to expand the show and and try and make it something stronger, that was where I went right away because they were such a fascinating dynamic and there was so much more there 
that I am so glad we got to see now in this audio podcast format. Absolutely. And I mean, thank you for writing it. I like saying more words, but it's, um, I think part of that is also that so much of what we as the public in, in the 21st century know about Bertie uh, as King and, you know, the Duke before that is public things. And so much about what we hear and I guess would see in the musical are private things. And that is something that's really helped me get into character as well, because I know I can't play him at the age that we see at the end of the piece. Um, and I certainly haven't experienced the multitude of things he has, but what I can kind of key into is, you know, his certain personality traits that also are up for interpretation because they're in private. And, you know, these scenes with Beatrice that, you know, you added to with to create more of an arc, um, a, a lot of these kind of private moments that um, were not written down as they might have been with, with the diaries um, of Victoria. So that's given me a kind of a nice bandwidth. So thank you for that addition. Well, it is actually thanks to you, Connor, that the podcast exists at all. Uh, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, so here, here it comes. <laughs> um, you sent me, some, like I said, some great feedback. And one of the things you said about the stage version of the show, which I think the reading was like three and a half hours. It was a, it was long. Um, it was a saga. Yeah. It was a saga. Um, but I got you guys pizza. Anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things you said was, well, remember, it's not a miniseries. And I mm. remember thinking, oh, but what if it was a miniseries? Um, and so that's kind of how we ended up in this format was there mm. was much more that I wanted to explore. There were things in that reading I was missing, like things I had planned on putting in music yeah. that I was like, this show is too long. And I kept stripping things. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of try and get it down to a reasonable time. And so that note, I think, really opened up the door for me to be able to do and to say and to explore what I wanted about this story. Oh, that's very kind. I mean, I also think that your brain, I mean, it's obviously so incredibly brilliant and <laughs> that your, you know, attention to detail has paid off for this kind of format because you know so much historical detail and um, accuracy that to be able to actually fit more in that's not burnt. I mean, I, I don't feel like there's any excess now with the podcast, even though it's a longer format, it's actually allowed the detail to be more concise and there for a reason. And, you know, those arcs to fully develop. I mean, hearing the arcs of other people develop as well. I mean, it's, you know, um, it's interesting. Well, it's so funny because you talk about my attention to detail and historical accuracy and historical knowledge. It does drive me crazy when I have to do something narratively in the show that I'm like, this is wrong. People are going to call me out on it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I do have to remind myself that I can't get everything in there. And so, you, you know, hearing from you saying that there's still that integrity there of the history and the details and that want from in the audience to learn more really means a lot to me because mm -hmm. I obviously easily get caught up in the minutia. Oh, yes. And I think from listening to, I've listened, I'm kind of obsessed with hearing directors talk recently, film and TV directors and um, Jessica Hobbs, who, who directs, she's a New Zealand director, um, directs on The Crown. And she speaks about, she really impressed on the actors that, this is an impression, an hour takeaway of what happened 
in a fictional format and it's not not everything has to be the way it was and I think certainly the way I've worked as an actor with Bertie is that I've taken in the history I've read it and gone fantastic thanks for living that controversial life and now I'm going to dig in where I can key in and I think that's just you know your brain is so attention detail that something that bothers you really little actually is perhaps in the way you know um, is taken away in, in view of story. And I think that it's a hard balance for you as a writer to find, hard balance for anyone, but you've done an amazing job. So congrats. <laughs> Thank you very much. I swear I'm not paying these people to say nice things about me. Um, something that made getting over kind of my minor neuroses uh, about historical accuracy came from the fact that you and all the other performers in this show were such fabulous performers and talented, but also so dedicated in bringing these people to life for this story. Mm -hmm. And so it made it easier in going to do rewrites, in adjusting things for the podcast, even on recording sessions where I said, actually, can you try this? Can you say the line this way? Because it stopped being, how do I resurrect someone who's dead who I can't ask questions about themselves into how do I help this person, this actor with me tell the story they're trying to tell. Uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, not to make this like a circle of love, but I'm definitely very appreciative of what you and everyone else has brought to the table. Um, but let's talk about this arc that we've kind of been hammering home and, and talk about yeah. his journey. Where did you begin? I think I began with the relationship. I mean, um, Beatrice is a fascinating and comprehensively different person to Bertie. It's almost amazing that they grew up as siblings because I think Bertie being the heir, he experienced a wildly different time as a child. And for me, that was much more um, relatable to actually draw on those things about how he comes in pretty hot um, with his kind of disdain uh, was actually taken from like all the things he'd experienced as a child. Well, and you mentioned how it seems like they grew up in completely different homes. Beatrice and Bertie were 15 and a half years apart. Yeah. And so they did almost grow up in completely different households. Um, Bertie came in as the second mm -hmm. of two children. Uh, you know, and then Beatrice comes in as number nine, as everybody's kind of moving out of the house growing up. And she really was the the baby. And they, I mean, they practically grew up in different generations. Yeah. And it's, it's I think, also with the um, expectations of an heir and what that, the difference of childhood. And you, and you can see this in the modern royals, um, you know, how differently it makes the children behave in the in this institution. You know, you can obviously use the example of William and Harry and, and how, you know, William, become, you know, in line to the throne about how his behaviour and his expectations and then you compare it to Harry and it's wildly different for very valid reasons um, and particularly in a bigger family. Um, Beatrice is a totally different experience and so far apart in, in age is for someone that much younger to kind of behave in that way, particularly to a male at that time and let alone the head of the throne. Um, it's wild behavior. Well, and so as you 
continued to play Birdie, uh, moving on to kind of the second phase of his character, yeah. the snark and the the playfulness starts kind of fading away mm. with uh, episode four. What made that shift for Birdie and how did you approach moving into uh, that breaking point? I think the point when he realizes it's uh, the stubbornness and the the drive of Beatrice is one, not going to wane. And two, when the public pressure, uh, you know, his public relationship is fascinating because it went up and down so chaotically and so often uh, you know he can be called like this amazing um, king that made these amazing decisions for Europe and was very very good at connecting with people and then the next minute he was a playboy that um, you know had all these affairs and they were with actresses how dare he (laughs) actors disgusting disgusting Uh, exactly the lowest of low in society Sorry, I keep interrupting your very beautiful answer. <laughs> no, it's true, though. And I think, you know, that relationship with the public, but then also his, you know, the reflection that he gets from what Beatrice is saying and showing makes him reflect on his relationship with his parents, which wasn't overly pretty. Episode four <laughs> kind of begins the the big fall. Well, and so we haven't gotten to here, episode six, at the release of this podcast, but I still kind of want to talk about the content that's in there because Mm -hmm. I think it's too rich to not discuss with you. Um, So the start of episode six, we see that Birdie has not been coming to visit Beatrice anymore, Um, and she takes it kind of very personally. Do you think that his decision to kind of cut ties between episodes five and six uh, Mm -hmm. was spiteful? Do you think he really is trying to move on with his life? What is his, what is his plan to deal with this kind of rush of emotions that he's been trying to keep in that kind of quippy uh, prison? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a way of avoiding the deepest emotional hurt he has. You know, I think leaving her in terms of visiting, I think it was a cynical, petty move in a way. And I've made those decisions in my life and then reflected later on um, about how they were childish or petty. And, you know, sometimes they're not regrettable in terms of I wouldn't have changed what I've done. And I think Bertie's rides that line it's a very fine line about whether you would change something or whether you can understand your actions were out of cynicism or out of pettiness but you would still do them if you went back and that's the line that he rides and uh Mm. we do hear later on his you know i guess regrets or or how he reflects on that moment and i think gives him a lot of humanity i guess is the the only word to, to describe that. And I think we see in him the humanity in our show that Victoria thinks a monarch should hide. Exactly. And I think that was his battle from the beginning. His battle, like he wasn't particularly studious or um, good at school. I mean, he didn't, he didn't thrive in that kind of system, which Albert was and Victoria were, were desperate for him to fit into for clear reasons in the monarchy. But he was so personable. And I think there's language somewhere about him being kind of leisured around people and charismatic in elite circles and was very, very good at being a people person and charming, no doubt charming with all those women he had around um, and could win over 
anyone. I mean, even when he kind of went away to um, Ireland, I think, and and had all his kind of um, his mates kind of not tell about this woman that he was kind of sneaking in, which was deeply scandalous. He was able to convince them all to do that. I mean, he's, he's a people pleaser and, you know, perhaps manipulative and troubled, <laughs> but he's, um, he's very good with people. So I think that comes, you know, it comes down to that. Well, and then we have to kind of approach the end of your story. Uh, so you will pass away at the end of the episode. Sadly. Sadly. But guys, don't worry. He's back for season two. He's in the past this time. Throwback. Throwback. <laughs> um, so you'll get to go back in time and work with Kayla. But um, we see your death parallel Prince Albert's death in our show. And how was performing that parallel? Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking because, you know, he would have it would have all been going through his mind. I mean, when when Albert was passing, I mean, he wouldn't obviously have the knowledge that his son was going to die in in this way but for him for birdie he's having watched what happened to his father feeling blamed certainly blamed for that by his mother for a very long time and then seeing details being edited in her diaries i think it's a deep sense of the games go away i mean the, the game of his life birdie certainly played games with relationships with women with I mean, with countries, with, you know, personal relationships with his family. He was a big game player and that's how he lived. But I think you get to this point in your life and it all, it just, those things don't matter. And it's a really vulnerable place to be for someone that has lived behind that veil for so long. And um, (laughs) to deal with, to come, for someone like him to come around and speak to the Beatrice in the way he does, that's a that's a pretty major shift in the way someone's mind is thinking. And often I haven't gotten close to death yet, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Touch wood. Um, but uh, this is my final recording. <laughs> Please don't die time. on me. I need you <laughs> for season two. Exactly. I'm going to have to be revived for season two. No, but I think he, to get to that place, I mean, it's clearly something that people at the end of their life have that experience of, you know, coming to and kind of trying to reconcile with what they've lived. I mean, he lived an extraordinary life, but one that I'm sure he, I'm sure he had some um, underlying things he'd love to change. I just want to say that the audience has such a treat in store for them in that final scene between you and Beatrice that's coming. And I want to give an honorable mention to the fabulous working relationship that you and grace had and Mm. the insane dynamic that i got to watch you two build i think what almost made the the first three episodes work so well was that you two actually didn't know each other so you were able to play that distance really fantastic these we grew up in two different generations we don't know each other we lived different lives and then by the time we got to episode four and the two of you started getting into the meteor scenes of that dynamic you guys had really blossomed Mm. into this dynamic duo uh of storytelling grace is a delight i think working with her has been fantastic and um i think what you're kind of getting out there Rachel as well it's like our relationship as Connor and Grace paralleled in a lot of ways 
in a similar way to what Beatrice and Bertie go through in the series because he kind of ignores her deepest cares and by the end they have they have this reconciliation and I think for me like I didn't know Grace I don't know Grace uh, particularly at the start of recording so it was just another I'm just working with another actor that I don't get to see or have any tactile understanding with and it was kind of very easy to dismiss <laughs> dismiss and kind of <laughs> yes whatever you want you know you know in that way um I do care deeply for Grace so I don't, <laughs> don't want to uh, come across like I'm dismissing her but it was much easier having not having any particular feelings about Grace as a human to kind of then be Bertie's cynical dismissive light um condescending at points person that he was at the start of the series and then you blossomed into something that was very emotional to listen to while you were recording that. And it was without the music, without kind of the mm-hmm. ambiance, without the lead up. And so, you know, I was emotional in the very yeah. detached way we recorded it. I can only imagine how the audience is going to feel. It's a very beautiful thing that the two of you have created as a team. Before we go, is there anything that you want to talk about, Bertie? Anything that you think the audience at large should know about this fascinating and very dynamic man? I think people have conceptions about the monarchy, misconceptions about the monarchy. And I think um, there is so much to Bertie that is so, so modern and so incomplete and so... um, disastrously naughty that I uh, <laughs> I encourage the audience members to to listen and to kind of uh, allow themselves the opportunity to see him as a human and to see all these people as humans because he lived an incredibly <laughs> incredibly tasteful life and did some very very funny troublesome uh <laughs> things that you know we wouldn't be proud of to say that we've done in our life but most of us have and i think um well i'll speak for myself i certainly have so i think there's things that we can all relate to in these people regardless of their royal status and regardless of them being hundreds of years ago i, I mean there's so much more to the monarchy than it shows and at the end of the day they're people and um birdie is a, a really amazing example of a person in this institution hundreds of years ago that was forced into a role, had to wait for this role, but lived a very tumultuous life in between um, and during. So I would say buckle on in because that naughty boy's got some things to say. (laughs) (laughs) And you did one hell of a job bringing him to life. Mr. Connor Delves, where can we find you on the internet? Follow your work, be your lifelong fan. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you can find me on Instagram. You can find my website. It's all at Connor Delves. It's just my name. It's pretty easy. There's only, you know, there's only, I think, one that I know of, one other Connor Delves. And the picture is of like maybe a seven or eight-year-old boy with glasses who (laughs) has had a, looks like a pretty different upbringing to me. So uh, don't follow him. I mean, maybe follow him. That could be fun. Uh, compare and contrast who has the better life yeah yeah but it's at Connor Delves kind of everywhere sadly everywhere in terms of you know it's it's shameful but that's the life we're in so thank you follow shameless plug shameless plug yep now time for our shameless plug if you would like to follow with love victoria you can follow us at with love victoria musical on instagram you can subscribe to the youtube page ticking clock theater to keep up with the episodes as they release get bonus content and keep 
getting updates about the coming season two. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on Monday for the season finale, double-length season finale, episode six. Bye, guys. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) 